morning, uh, would you please turn your Bible uh, to Zechariah chapter 10. Uh, I just want to say it's uh, wonderful to be back with you all. What a joy to hear your singing and, and to see your faces and to bring God's Word to you. I was traveling uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, I'm just really refreshed and, and thankful. I'm thankful to the elders for giving me that time and uh, for Pastor Kurt and, and Pastor Wiley who were uh, preaching the Word while I was gone. Uh, but I am grateful and filled with joy to be with you, uh, dear ECC, again. Uh, we're looking at Zechariah chapter 10 today. We're continuing our series. Uh, maybe it's uh, no secret to you, but uh, you know, one of my hobbies uh, that most of you should know uh, is uh, reading history. And uh, I know to the kids, especially middle and high school, that sounds kind of uh, weird for a hobby. How can you use hobby and history in the same sentence? But uh, it's one of the things that I, that I really love is uh, just reading about you know, different ages in history and I'm gripped by the narrative uh, of uh, you know, how things have happened. And one of the features of uh, history that uh, really uh, fascinates me, that I love, is, is reading about the effect uh, that leaders have on people. You know, I love to see uh, biographical sketches of, of particular great leaders and, and how they have influenced uh, people in different ways. You know, leaders influence entire nations, entire peoples uh, for good or for evil. You often see small and weak nations, you know, insignificant on the global scale suddenly rise and, and become great conquering world empires because of the transformative effect uh, that a particular leader can have on a nation. We see this in the Bible as well. Uh, as you read the uh, scriptures, you'll see throughout the Old Testament that the welfare of God's people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the welfare of God's people depends in large part upon their leaders. If you read the books of Kings and Chronicles, uh, these are uh, especially good background for our series uh, through Zechariah, which we're currently studying. If you read uh, Kings and Chronicles, uh, you'll see this uh, seesaw in the history of Israel. You know, there's a good king who's leading and uh, there's great revival and people are seeking after the Lord. But then when there's a bad king, people's hearts turn away from God and they fall into sin. And then again, a good king rises every once in a while and people come back to worship God. But then a series of bad kings results in Israel falling away from God and ultimately facing judgment. Well, this week in today's text, we're going to see that the Lord is very serious about the leadership of his people. Now, this is a theme that becomes central in this section of Zechariah as we're looking at these later chapters here. Uh, the theme of the shepherd and the shepherds of God's people. Who, who are those who are leading the people of God? And, uh, you know, our series on Zechariah is entitled The Return of the King." The point being that Zechariah is going to show us God is going to remove all of these bad leaders and, and he himself is going to come and rule his people. God himself is going to be the shepherd of his people 
And God's leadership, his kingship, is going to have a transformative effect on his people's lives. So brothers and sisters, this morning as we look at the Lord's kingship of his people, I pray that our hearts would grow in boldness and in great joy, especially as we see the effects that his kingship, his leadership has on us, how the Lord's leadership transforms us as his people. Now, you've heard me say this many times as we've gone through uh, the book of Zechariah. I said the prophets, they often communicate uh, kind of like Dolby surround sound, as one teacher uh, put it. You know, the, uh, the left speaker turns on and, and you're hearing a sound. You know, imagine sitting in the uh, theater and you hear the sound from the left side. Then the right speaker turns on and you hear the same thing but coming from a different perspective. And then the top speaker turns on and, and then you're in full surround sound. Or, you know, you can even think of it uh, like, a, like a hologram or a kaleidoscope. You know, uh, my daughters have these kaleidoscopes which, we, which they play. You look through the lens and you're seeing one image and many different colors. Then you turn it and you're seeing the same thing again but in a different way. And then you turn it again and see it a third time and multiple perspectives on the same reality. And, and, and so today as we look at God's kingship and his rule over his people and the effects that that has, we're going to look at three different perspectives, three images uh, of the king and his people, three speakers of Dolby surround sound that Zachariah is going to, I might as well call it Zachariah's surround sound uh, that he's going to turn on for us. And the first is this, that the Lord is the shepherd who cares for us. The Lord is the shepherd who cares for us. Look at verses 1 to 3. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. So the passage begins here with an exhortation, a calling to the people, a command to the people, to ask the Lord for rain. And it's interesting, it's telling them to ask him for rain in the season of spring rain. So rain was to be expected. But it's a reminder, the Lord is the one who gives the rain. We're not in some kind of a clockwork universe where, where, where just you know, things happen by nature or by the women fancy of uh, storm gods or whatever it is. No, we are called to depend upon the Lord. He gives the rain. The Lord, our shepherd who cares, our shepherd who provides, the one who answers, He's the one whom we are to ask and depend upon. And verse 2 shows us there what had happened to these people. They were like lost sheep. They were wandering because their leaders had led them astray and abandoned them. These leaders had led these people to depend upon false gods, false dreams, 
superstitions and they were afflicted and suffering as, as a result. And if you're reading the Old Testament, if you read the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapters 17 and 18, uh, you see uh, kind of a similar situation like this where a bad king was ruling over Israel named Ahab and he had led the people away from God uh, to worship a false god, uh, this uh, false idol named Baal who is supposed to be the god of the storms and the Lord shows that he is the true God by shutting up the rain. There's no rain if you cry out to Baal. And then Elijah has this confrontation with all the false prophets. Elijah is the prophet of the Lord. And he prays to God Almighty, the true God, and God answers. And he sends the rain. Well, that's a similar situation that we're seeing here in Zechariah 10. Ask God for the rain. God is speaking into this situation, saying, don't go after these household gods and false dreams and diviners. Ask me. He tells his people to ask the Lord. And then he declares his anger in verse 3 against bad leaders. He says, my anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah. The Lord of hosts cares about his people. He is angry with the leaders because they have caused suffering to the people by leading them after false gods. The Lord is angry with these evil shepherds because he is deeply concerned about his sheep. And so the Lord is going to dispose of them and the Lord himself will shepherd his sheep as a shepherd who cares for his flock. You know, the Lord's love and care for his sheep is something we see throughout the Bible. In the Exodus, we see it clearly as the Lord rescues his people from Israel and, and they become his flock and, and he leads them through the Red Sea and he leads them and provides for them in the wilderness. We see it in, in poetry in the Old Testament, like in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And ultimately we see the Lord's care for his sheep as he comes into this world as the good shepherd to redeem and rescue his sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. You read the Gospels and you see the Lord Jesus Christ seeing his people as sheep without a shepherd. His heart overflows with compassion and for care for those who are lost. While other shepherds have led God's people into suffering and death, Jesus experiences, the good shepherd experiences suffering and death on behalf of his people our good shepherd was nailed to a cross and he suffered and died for our sins to show his care for us. And this shepherd calls us, invites us to come to him. He cares for us and he calls us to seek him with all our needs, to depend on him. 
So brothers and sisters, whom are you depending on? Who are you relying upon? You know, this season of the pandemic, COVID-19, has resulted in a lot of wandering sheep. And sometimes trials reveal, open up our hearts and begin to reveal the other things that we are trusting in. Some, some sheep in this season, I fear, have begun to follow bad shepherds in the form of false teachers on the internet. You know, the text specifically warns against teachers who tell false dreams. And, and sometimes you get so excited, you see this guy on YouTube or whatever speaking of some dream or visions like, oh, there's a dream, you know, this must be uh, amazing. Don't fall for it, brothers and sisters. Don't fall for vain superstitions that are not rooted in the Word of God. I want to ask you, does your life reveal a dependence upon the Lord, our shepherd? Or does your life show a dependence on someone or something else? Well, these people, they were relying and depending upon false dreams, false superstitions, false gods that they were led into. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been led into some of those things. Maybe you've fallen into the superstitions of the health, wealth, and prosperity teaching that just says, oh, have a little more faith, give a little more money, and everything will be okay, and I promise you blessing. Don't fall for that teaching. You know, I think of so many in this season losing jobs, struggling with trials of various kinds. I think of our dear Indian members right now just struggling and worried about the situation back home with loved ones who are afflicted and suffering. In all of this, brothers and sisters, come to our shepherd. Ask the Lord. He says, Ask the Lord for the rain. Ask the Lord for relief. Don't rely on false teachers, false dreams, false promises of prosperity. Don't rely on vain superstitions. Don't rely on yourself and your efforts to do things and fix the situation. Brothers and sisters, this is a call to you today. Whatever you're going through, whatever trial you're facing, for the grace that you need, ask the Lord. This is a reminder for us as a church, dear brothers and sisters, that we don't rely on anything else but Yahweh, our Lord. That's why we emphasize so much. We want to be a church that's founded on God's word alone, that we would not go after things or just leaders that draw our hearts away from Him. God rules His church by His word. And oh, that His word would transform our hearts and lives as a people, as a church, that we would earnestly seek Him and, and call upon Him and ask Him for His glory to be displayed among us. Oh, that we would be a church who would earnestly seek the Lord in prayer, that we would learn to ask the Lord to supply all that we need as His people for His glory to be displayed in our midst and to fulfill our mission. You know, as we seek the Lord and as we live under His Lordship, as the Lord shepherds us, He transforms us. The Lord transforms His flock. And you'll see that in this sudden shift at the end of verse 3. You know, when I was uh, younger and growing up, and some of you guys, you know, in my age, 
would might remember this. You know, there was this TV show uh, that I used to watch. I don't know what the kids watch these days, and I have all girls, so they tend to be interested in slightly different things. But there was this TV show called Transformers. You know, Transformers more than meets the eye. Robots in disguise, like, you know, they had these cars, and they look like ordinary cars, and then all of a sudden, when it's, when it's battle time, you know, they, they transform, like, and, and then there's a big robot. And there are lots of shows like that, right? And, you know, where something that looks ordinary and insignificant transforms into something mighty, right? And, and, and that's what we're going to see here, right? It's, it's almost like, like this movie transformation that's happening, yeah? So we had the first speaker of the Dolby surround sound, and now the second speaker's turning on. We're turning the kaleidoscope, and we're going to see things from a different perspective. And, and, and you'll see this at the end of verse 3. And, and here we get our second point. First, we saw the Lord is our shepherd who cares for us. Second, we see that he's the warrior who strengthens us. The warrior who strengthens us. Look at verses 3 to 7. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. They shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall be, become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. The Lord's leadership, His compassion and care, transforms His flock into a mighty war horse. That's what we're seeing at the end of verse 3 there. So this is like, you know, if you watch the Avengers or something and, and you know, all of a sudden the Iron Man suit is, is coming on. That, that's what's happening at the end of verse 3. Look at that. Look at verse 3 again. The Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. And, and you can almost see the transformation taking place here where all of these you know, vulnerable sheep, dumb sheep are walking along and, and then all of a sudden they come together and they're morphing together and they get transformed into this mighty war horse. The vulnerable, weak sheep become an invincible fighting force under the Lord's leadership. The flock is transformed into a war horse. And if you know anything about the ancient world and war in the ancient world, there was nothing more intimidating in battle than mighty horses. Because when horses are coming rushing at you uh, at full speed and, and you look at the battle horse, there's really nothing you can do. You can't run, you can't hide, you can't do anything. God's people become a mighty war horse. And who's riding and driving this horse? Well, it's God Himself. That's his majestic steed in battle. And, and, and the text has now moved into this warfare imagery from verses 4 onwards. 
In verse 4 we see, From him shall come the cornerstone, the tent peg, the battle bow. From him every ruler, all of them together. This is saying that God himself was going to provide the leaders, the weapons, everything that's needed for his people's success in battle. In verse 5 we see the effect on the people. They become a mighty group of warriors. They're a disciplined fighting force. And, and even if they were to face riders in battle, they would trample them down. In verses 6 and 7, we see this amazing work that the Lord is, is going to do. He reunifies people who were broken. You see that? He says, I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. Now, in verse 7, he speaks of Ephraim. Now, if you know the history of Israel, if you've read the book of Kings, Israel was one nation under King David and then King Solomon. But then under bad leadership, they were divided. And you had the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, which was ruled by the line of David. And you had the northern tribes that split away from the tribe of Judah. And these were together collectively called Ephraim or Joseph, because Ephraim was the largest tribe in the north. And they were constantly at war. But God is going to reunite them. He's going to bring Ephraim back. He's going to save them. And, and notice again, the Lord is doing this. And what is the result? He says, I will strengthen. I will save. I will bring them back. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. What God does transforms who his people are. And so we see a mighty fighting force under God's warrior leadership. Now there have been some misinterpretations of passages like this in church history and very sadly in, in Christian history even some people have taken texts like this uh, and seen it as giving cause, uh, as support uh, for taking up arms in the cause of Christ. And uh, obviously, as you read the New Testament, you know that that's an incorrect understanding that is wrong uh, interpretation. And uh, I, I don't believe anyone here is in danger of, of such an interpretation. But I want to address uh, another misinterpretation, uh, which I do think uh, many sincere evangelical Christians tend to fall into. And, and this may be even uh, some of you this morning. Uh, so uh, this is a more common misunderstanding of passages like this. And that is that these passages uh, refer to the restored physical nation-state of Israel today or in the future. So people take this as then referring to Israel as a nation-state today, overcoming foes in war either now or in the near future. And friends, I want to submit to you that I'm not persuaded by that interpretation, and, and that would be a misinterpretation of passages like this. Right? It, it's a misunderstanding of uh, the structures of God's revelation and how these are fulfilled in Christ. Uh, you see, the Bible uses a warfare imagery quite frequently. Right? Throughout the Old and New Testaments, the Lord is depicted as a warrior who conquers his enemies. I'm going to seek to explain to you how to properly interpret this kind of warfare imagery, particularly as it relates to Israel. 
Uh, we see the warfare theme go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, which says there's going to be conflict between uh, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And then as we read the Old Testament, we see that Israel becomes God's chosen people under the Old Covenant. And as His people, they were given strength and might by Him. The Lord went with them in their battles. And they fight war, bringing judgment on other nations, the Lord's judgment. And their, vict their, their victories come because the Lord is with them, because of His power and His presence with them. When Israel was unfaithful to the Lord, the Lord actually fought against them and, and brought judgment against them. And, and then, you know, you finally see Israel being judged and they go off into exile and they no longer exist as they once did. And then you begin to read prophecies like this of Israel once again being restored and being insurmountable in battle and victorious in war by the Lord's power and strength. And so, you know, you, maybe you might read that and begin to expect, oh, well, it'll take place physically in, in the actual nation state. But you see, when we come to the New Testament, we see something different. When we come to the New Testament and we begin to understand the fulfillment of this imagery and these promises, uh, we see that all of the warfare imagery in the Old Testament was a shadow, a preview, a kind of a trailer, a picture of a greater battle and a greater war that has been waged and that continues. You might remember the little story, uh, the story I told you of how to read uh, the prophets, right? Of the, the horse-drawn carriage, little Johnny in the year 1900. Uh, his daddy promises him a horse-drawn carriage on his 21st birthday. And so Johnny grows up, you know, eagerly expecting this horse-drawn carriage as a gift for him. That's how they traveled in, in uh, the, you know, in the 1900. And when Johnny turns 21, he goes outside and he runs across the street to see his gift. And uh, instead of a horse-drawn carriage, there's a Ford. There's an automobile. The promise has been fulfilled. But the promise has been fulfilled in a way that was far greater than Johnny could ever have imagined. Friends, all of the Old Testament, the warfare, even Israel itself points forward to something far greater. When we come to the pages of the New Testament, we see passages uh, that were applied to Israel in the Old Testament directly apply to Jesus and the church. We see passages like Hosea 11, out of Egypt I call my son in Matthew's gospel, speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the new Israel. And all who are in him are now spiritually Israel. That's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, can say things in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. He can say things like, grace and peace be upon the Israel of God. And he's speaking of the church. And as we bring the warfare imagery into the New Testament, we see that there is a far greater war that has been fought and must be fought. You see, all of this warfare imagery in the Old Testament, including Zechariah's prophecies, including the prophecies of Israel being victorious in battle, point forward to the great spiritual battle, the war between the Lord, the mighty warrior, the divine warrior, and the powers of darkness. And the Lord Jesus, He fulfills these prophecies in His defeat of Satan and sin and death through his death on the cross. 
and his victorious resurrection. We see it in verses like Colossians 2 verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He, that is God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is Christ. Or we see it in Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15, for example. A beautiful passage speaks of how the Lord Jesus Christ entered our world in order to defeat the powers of darkness. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, the powers of darkness had a claim over us. We were all once under bondage, under the sway of Satan because of our sin, destined for death under judgment and the wrath of God. But the Lord has waged the war. He has rescued us. He has delivered us and he has made us a part of his army. Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And how does he accomplish this victory? How does he accomplish this deliverance? It's by paying for our sins on the cross. Look at verse 14. In whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died and poured out his blood so that we might be saved from the wrath of God and from judgment and so that we might be delivered from the powers of darkness and be free. And in him, in Christ, brothers and sisters, we become the Lord's army. Not waging a physical war, but advancing the Lord's kingdom through evangelism and missions. So, so let's look again at these verses in Zechariah 10 through the lens of Christ, through this lens. Look at verse 4 again. From him shall come the cornerstone. The cornerstone, that is the central stone that, that holds the building in place that everything is built upon. Right? And if you're thinking of where, what cornerstone this is here, it's obviously in, in the context, a cornerstone of a, of a fortress, right? of a mighty fortress. From him is the cornerstone. From him is the tent peg. The tent peg is what holds the tent in place when you pitched it on the battlefield. From him is the battle bow, the weapon of war. From him every ruler, those who lead as commanders uh, in the army of God. All of this is from the Lord. And of course, Jesus supremely fulfills this text. He is the cornerstone upon whom we are built. He is the tent peg and the battle bow. He is the supreme captain and leader of God's people. And under himself, Christ has appointed other leaders, elders, to be his appointed spokesmen and to lead God's people, to shepherd God's flock, to lead God's army in this spiritual war, which is the mission of the church. Well, it's not just Christ being captain and elders being appointed as leaders, but all of God's people are an army. This transforms all of God's people into mighty warriors on a mission. Look at verse 5 over there. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. Brothers and sisters, that's you. We are this fighting force. You are this group of warriors on a mission to make Christ known. Did you notice what it says in verse 5? They shall fight because the Lord 
is with them. And, and have you remembered, do you, do you recall when you say the Lord is with them, does it remind you of what the Lord, our captain, the captain of our army, the commander of our army, does it remind you of what he says to us in his commission to us? Think of Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says the Lord. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And Jesus says, I am with you. And so we can fight this fight to take the gospel to the lost, to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, our vision is to be an embassy of the Lord Jesus Christ in Abu Dhabi. And yes, that's true. And we're even more than that. We're an outpost. An outpost is a battle station. An outpost of Christ's victorious kingdom that is advancing against the powers of darkness. Friends, COVID-19 is not going to stop the advance of the church, the army of the Lord. No foe or hindrance can hinder the advance of the army of the Lord. You know, I think of when I was in seminary, we used to sing this hymn, Soldiers of Christ in truth arrayed, O world in ruin needs your aid. And this morning, you know, we'll be closing singing, O church arise and put your armor on, hear the call of Christ our captain. Yes, it's hard. And it can be wearisome and difficult to live in this battle constantly. But the Lord strengthens us for this fight. Look at at verse 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. God promises the reunification of tribes that were separated. Right? That he would restore and reunify Israel. And I said, in the New Testament, we see that this is fulfilled in an even greater way. How does this get fulfilled? Well, he's reunified and unified people from every tribe and tongue and nation in Christ. We are united as one people. He saves us and strengthens us for gospel warfare. Not a physical war, but a war against the powers of darkness by proclaiming the gospel. And notice what the Lord says there. He says at the end of verse 6, I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. So that brings us back to the prayer theme that started the chapter. You know, John Piper in his excellent book on Christian missions called Let the Nations Be Glad, he says this concerning prayer. You never know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. You never know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. Brothers and sisters, this is how we fight our fight. This is how we keep the battle moving through prayer, through seeking the Lord. 
You know, in the words of uh, one of my favorite and Pastor Kurt's favorite Christian bands, Petra, they, they had a song, get on your knees and fight like a man. We fight on our knees. We ask and we plead the Lord for strength, for grace, for victory. I will answer them, he says. We plead with our compassionate God that he would bring sinners from darkness to light, that he would save sinners and that he would grant grace to us as his people and boldness to share the gospel as we ought to. We plead with the Lord that the mission of the church would advance no matter what, that churches would be planted and sinners would be saved. The Lord is our God. He is with us in this fight and he has promised that he will answer And as the Lord answers, what is the result? We see this in verse 7. The result is joy. It's great joy. Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Brothers and sisters, as we engage in this awesome privilege of the mission of the church in gospel war, as we see people come to faith in Christ, as we see churches planted and missionaries sent out and gospel work go forward, We feel great joy. The Lord who transforms and strengthens us causes us to feel great gladness and overflowing, abundant joy. How's your joy? You want to find something to rejoice in in this difficult season? Rejoice in the marvelous work that God is doing of bringing sinners from darkness to light. Rejoice for every baptism, for every conversion from sin to Christ. This is something as parents, this is something we ought to teach our children. You know, we, as the mission of the church uh, advances, this is a witness to our children there in verse 7. The children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. We need to teach our children to be glad in the Lord. Read missionary stories with them. Point them to what God is doing in the church. and, and, And teach them to be glad and rejoice in this. Friends, the Lord is doing a great work of redemption. He is gathering people from every tribe and tongue and nation across earth. Nothing will stop the advance of his kingdom. He is saving. He is calling them out and rescuing them. And and that's what we see in our third image, third speaker of the surround sound here in Zechariah 10. First, we've seen that the Lord is our shepherd who cares for us. He's our warrior who strengthens us. And finally, he's the redeemer who rescues us. Verses 8 to 12. I will whistle for them and gather them in. For I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. If you've read the Bible before or if you've been at ECC for any length of time, the imagery there should be familiar to you of God leading his people through the sea 
striking down the waves of the sea and drying up the Nile. Kids, what does that remind you of? Anybody? The Exodus, that's right. The Exodus is where the Lord came as the shepherd of his people and led his people out of Egypt. The Exodus is where the Lord came as a mighty warrior and fought against the oppressors of his people and delivered them. And the Exodus is where the Lord redeemed his people, parted the Red Sea and led them through on dry ground. But you see, the Exodus, just like everything else in the Old Testament, was a shadow, a picture, a preview, pointing forward to a far greater rescue and redemption that God would accomplish. In the prophets, in passages like this, we see that there's an expectation of a greater, a new and greater, a new and better exodus. You see, the people of Israel, they'd been scattered all over the world in exile because of God's judgment for their sin. But they grew in this expectation. God gave them these promises and gave them this expectation that he would act once again, just like in the exodus, to bring his people back from exile, to rescue them wherever they are and to gather them to himself. You know, this pandemic season and COVID-19 for the church feels like an exile, doesn't it? Feels like we've been separated, we're longing to be regathered. It's temporary. The Lord will regather us. This separation won't last forever. I was just thinking this morning, remembering times when we were all in this hall. It'll happen again. Some of you, you've been separated for a long time now from loved ones, longing for a reunion. This is temporary. You will be reunited. But there's a far, far, far greater return from exile, a far greater regathering and redemption that the Bible tells us of. You see, all of us, from every tribe and tongue and nation under heaven, we've been exiled from God's presence. We go back to the original exile in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve were driven out, exiled from God's presence as a judgment from sin, for sin. And we've all been living as exiles in this world ever since. But as we come to the New Testament, we see that Jesus has saved people from every nation. He is saving people who have been exiled. Zechariah's promise and prophecy of a new exodus is taking place, is being fulfilled in a greater and even more spectacular way. As we read the book of Acts, we see that this new exodus and this gathering is taking place as God is sending the gospel forth in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And from the ends of the earth, God is gathering his people to himself. Jesus accomplished this redemption through his death on the cross. And now he's whistling and gathering us in. Zechariah 10 verse 8, I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. There'll be no room. The number of God's people being saved is uncontainable. We are all sinners who deserve exile and death and judgment. But Jesus died on the cross as our substitute, the perfect sacrifice, turning away God's wrath, redeeming us to bring us to him. And now he's calling sinners to himself, 
so that whoever turns from sin and trusts in him will be redeemed and rescued. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, says our Lord Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you've relied on other things, household gods or idols, false ideas and superstitions, false dreams. Maybe you rely on false teachers who promise you big things, but it's only resulted in you wandering around feeling empty. I want to call you, dear friend, to hear the whistle of the Good Shepherd. Hear His voice and turn from your sin and come to Jesus. Now maybe you've been wandering in this world and there's that, that feeling inside you that you, you can't shake. That feeling that, you know, wherever you go, that, that you just feel out of place. This is not home. This longing for something better, there's got to be something more. I want to call you. Jesus is calling you to hear his whistle. The voice of the good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice, he says. Turn from your sin, repent of your sin, hear the voice of the good shepherd this morning and come to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you know, you're a sheep that has lost his or her way. Maybe you've been wandering and wandering this past year and just somehow providentially the Lord has brought you this morning to church. Brother or sister, come back. Hear the whistle of the good shepherd and come running into his arms, dear sheep. Brothers and sisters, I want to speak to us all. You know how he calls and whistles to gather people to himself, right? Whether it's a sheep that's been wandering, and there are quite a few at ECC, I assure you, over a hundred people whom have disappeared in the pandemic, if a sheep is wandering, or if there's someone who is lost and needs to hear that whistle for the first time, you know how they hear that whistle, don't you? It's by you and me calling them, sharing the gospel, inviting them into the arms of the Good Shepherd. We'll close with verse 12. Again, notice the Lord's action and what happens to the people as a result. I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in His name, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You make us strong and we pray that we will walk in Your name as ambassadors for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.